Hey Boulevard Church, Pastor Wes here, letting you know that I freaking miss every single one of you. It's not a joke. Uh, I hate preaching in a dark room, staring at a camera and pretending like there's a crowd. Uh, but it's good to see you guys. I love you guys so much. I'm such an I'm such an, it's such an honor that you guys would join us, that you would tune in, that you would listen to what uh, I have to say, that you would um, listen to what God's talking to us as a church about. Um, it, it means a lot to me. It goes a long way. And I really, really appreciate each one of you who tune in and listen with us every week. And maybe this is your first time and I appreciate you tuning in today and listening to us today. Um, for those of you who know, our church is spending the whole year preaching on the three foundational pillars of our church. Uh, pillar one is our personal relationship with God. Uh, pillar two is our personal relationship with our local church. And pillar three is our personal relationship with the lost and the broken in the way of evangelism. Uh, this is our last week, actually. This is this right here. We're in it. This is the last week of our first pillar, which we've been calling first love. And um, it's kind of going to be like a part two message from last week. And so if you didn't tune in with us last week, I would encourage you after this message to go listen to that message um, because they're really partner messages and they require each other. Um, and so I'd be really grateful if you did that. Just uh, go to our YouTube page or just scroll down on our Facebook uh, page because I'm sure we posted it um, and anything like that. Um, and today we're going to be talking about having a furious longing for Christ, a furious longing uh, for Christ. Uh, if you've been with us as we've been talking about this first pillar, we've spent this entire time really with a few exceptions, really just pouring into how much Jesus loves you, what he's done for you, your identity in him, your position in him, the security in him. We've been spending a long time talking about what he's done for us, what he experienced for us, the pains, the torments, the torture. We spent a long time talking about that because I think it's really important for us to know that we can never truly ever love God first. Our love is solely dependent on His. I mean, the Bible even says we love Him because He first loved us. Our whole relationship, our whole experience, our breakthroughs, our freedoms, it is all a byproduct of God moving in His furious love for us. God is serious about his love for us. It's why I've always loved the song that other people hate. I've always loved reckless love um, because people will say, oh, God's not reckless. Nothing he does is reckless. That's a heresy. Uh, but the author of the song pointed out um, that he wrote reckless because reckless means doing an action without fear of the consequences of what happens to self, right? And that's exactly what the cross is. Jesus took the cross for us without taking into account the pain that he would receive, right? Obviously, he knew, he was prepared, he looked at it and said yes and amen to it on our behalf, um, but he did this for us. God is madly in love with us because God is love. Because God is love, he will always continue to love us. It's a beautiful truth about the God that we serve and the God that we worship. But here's the thing, and I want to end this last week on our pillar that is first love, on talking about our love for God. I've said this a couple times, very few times throughout the series, but I have said it a couple times. Um, there at some point has to be a response. At some point there has to be a change of heart. At some point, God's furious love towards us needs to be reciprocated in having a serious love in exchange. Um, that when we look at what he's experienced for us, we look at his sacrifices, we look at his pains, and we look at his torments, and the appropriate response to that is to love him unconditionally 
in return. And so again, this message series is called First Love, but this message is going to be called A Furious Longing for Christ. Um, when you're really in love, you long for that person. You desire uh, that person. You think about them. And just like last week when I talked about building an atmosphere, I want to take that and I want to run with it a little farther and talk about that kind of atmosphere, what longing it produces, what desire for God gets built within us in response to an atmosphere centered around Christ and his goodness. Amen. Can I get an amen? Amen in the back. Amen, Christina. Shout amen. I'm not going to stop saying shout amen. Amen. You can hear her. See, she's here. Say hi, Christina, in the comments below. Like, share, subscribe, whatever platform you're on. We really appreciate it. And just like last week, where I read you two verses where it seemed like the author kind of copied off of each other, I've got two more sections of scripture that seems like the author kind of copied each other. I do this on purpose because I want you to know that when I talk about these kind of truths about an atmosphere of Christ or this, or this deep longing for God, this isn't some off-the-wall thought. This isn't taking one random verse in the middle of the Bible and trying to expound a whole theology upon it. Uh, this is consistent from Genesis to Revelation that we should desire and our soul, our bodies, we long for God. Uh, we are incomplete without God. You hear people talk about how they, I have a God-sized hole inside of me, that nothing will satisfy me unless God gets put in his proper place. That is true for every single person that has ever lived on this earth. And I want to read a couple verses about people just simply longing for God. And then I want to apply that to our lives and really see how we can shift our lives and, and we can make it so that we long for God in the same way, if not more, than the way we see these authors longing for God as well. Uh, first is going to be Psalms chapter 42, we're going to read verses 1 to 2. Uh, I hope you brought your Bibles. I hope you have your notebooks. If you didn't bring your Bibles, don't worry. Christina brought a Bible for you, and she's going to make sure it appears right in front of your face. I'm reading out of the ESV, but you're welcome to read out of anything you want um, along with me. Um, Psalm 42, just a heads up, we don't actually know who wrote it. Uh, so this is uh, from Anonymous, and he says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I want to read that one more time. It's really short. It's really sweet. But there's such a heart in it. And if you read the whole of this psalm, you see that that same heart continues all the way through. Both Psalm 42 and Psalm 63 are full of people in distress, full of people experiencing some kind of outward attacks, and their response to those kind of attacks are, man, I want God. I desire God. I love God. And I think that's the appropriate response to anything going on in your life. Just love God. <laughs> it sounds kind of cheesy or kind of simple, but I think that's the beauty of how simple the gospel of Jesus Christ is. I want to read that again. Psalm 42 verses 1 to 2 says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And likewise, if we go to Psalm 63 verses 1 to 4, this one's David. And here's what David has to say in a similar heart. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land 
where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift my hands. Notice how beautiful that is. Like, your love is better than life. I don't think, if we're being honest, uh, and it's easier said than done, I've always said this, um, but if we're being honest, I don't think a lot of us would be would honestly say, yeah, I love God that much. You know, um, th- because we'll put God on hold so that we can have our life the way we want it. Uh, but in this verse, G- uh, David is saying, your love is better than life, and my lips will praise you in the midst of this storm. Um, so I bless you as long as I live, and in your name, I will lift my hands. And with kind of that heart, that thought, and that idea of longing for God, I want to pray us into this message and really talk about that for us. Uh, Dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. Uh, God, I pray that their hearts would be open uh, to receive the truth of what it is that you are saying to us today. And God, I pray for me as well that you would bless me to preach this truth well. Uh, God, I pray that this moment would matter in the long haul, Father God, uh, that you would teach us to long for you, to build an atmosphere for you, to put you first and truly and deeply desire you for who you are, God. We love you. We praise you, and in Jesus' name I say, amen. Amen? Amen. Let's take the anointed drink break. Because <clears throat> that sip of water has got to get me through the whole message. Ready? Um, so when it comes to longing, uh, I think it's an important thing to realize and think about and understand that all of us long for things. All of us have those things that we think about, the thing that our mind always goes back to. It's funny, I've been learning a lot about longing because of my son Titus, because he's a baby, and his desires and his longings are so fickle, it's hilarious. He wants anything and everything, and he's come to a place in his life where if there's anything in anyone's hands, he has decided it's a gift for him. I told him today, I said, Titus, you know the world doesn't revolve around you, right? And he looked at me and started crying. It was hilarious. It's like, it's like he knew what I was talking about. <laughs> um, but G- Titus had a problem the other day because usually he longs for a bunch of things, but it's in quick succession, right? He'll look at his keys and he'll long for it. He'll be like, oh, this is what I want. And then he sees something else and he throws it and he goes, no, this is what I want now, right? Because it's so fickle and he'll move from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And he's cute as a button. And so I just keep giving him things because he's just so cute. Um, But the other day he had a problem. It was hilarious. Really, it was. He had his binky in his mouth and he wanted it. And next to him was his bottle and he wanted it. And so he he looked at the pinky and kept it in his mouth and he looked at me and he started crying. And I was like, dude, what's going on? And he was crying and looking at his bottle and I was like, oh, he must be hungry. So I took the binky from his mouth and I gave him the bottle and he sucked on it for five seconds. I got up, started to walk back to what I was doing and he was crying again. And I was like, dude, what, what do you want? You know, I looked and he was reaching towards his binky. And I was like, okay, so he's already done drinking. He wants his binky now. So I took the bottle and I gave him his binky and he took the binky, looked immediately at his bottle, reached for it and started crying. And I was like, bro, what do you want? This is on you. So I put the binky in the bottle, both of them in his hands. And he put the binky in his mouth and he took the bottle and he put it in the binky. And then he got mad because milk wasn't coming out. 
and, and I'm looking at Titus and I'm like, bro, like there's, I don't know what you want. Like there's nothing I can do for you. So Titus started crying and what he was crying about was that he couldn't have his bottle and his binky too, right? You know that old saying, you can have your cake and eat it too? Titus would tell you that's false because he couldn't have his bottle and his binky too. And it was hilarious because he was going back and forth and he was getting frustrated and he was crying because he couldn't have both things. And I looked at him and I'm like, dude, I'm the same way, like, right? Um, my, my desires, they're so, they're so fickle. They're, they're so, if we're being honest with ourselves, uh, we're just as consistent in our desires as Titus was for his binky and his bottle. Um, we're just as consistent. I'll actually give you another example because I think it's hilarious. Me and Pastor Thomas, oh yeah, Pastor Thomas, you're part of the story today. Me and Pastor Thomas, we did an intern program. We, we got saved, we were freshly saved Christians and we, we both, liked two different girls and i'm going to tell you something before the story starts the girl that i liked i'm not married to the girl that he liked he's not married to both of those girls are married to different people now and all of us now would say we're exactly where god wants us it's important to keep this in mind that versavia is the most beautiful amazing person in the world and thomas would say the same thing about jesse i don't regret that I didn't end up with this female, right? And he doesn't regret that he ended up with that one. And so it's important to keep that in mind while I tell this story. Thomas looks at me one day, and Thomas, I'm calling you out because you started this. He looks at me one day and he says, hey, bro, we should fast so that God can tell us if these ladies will be our wives or not. And I'm like, dude, that's a good idea because if she is, then I'll focus on it. And if she's not and God tells me she's not, then I'll quit focusing on it. Either way, the situation's handled. And so we fasted the whole day on this, on just like, God, it's hilarious, right? Like how immature uh, newborn baby Christian Pastor Wes was, right? Not, not in combat, Wes was, right? Wes was just, I'm just like convinced, right? Um, and randomly towards the end of our fast, we're finally home for the day. We went out and did our whole thing. And throughout the whole day, I was praying, and I'm sure Thomas was too. And we were praying, God, what are you guiding us? Is this your thing? Like all that, right? And we sit down at the end of the day. He hands me top ramen because he made top ramen for us. And he goes, bro, we can break our fast now. And I was like, what? I thought we were going to fast longer. And he goes, no, don't worry. God already told me. And I was like, oh, dude, that's awesome. What did God tell you? He said, yeah, God told me that there are wives someday. <laughs> that didn't age well. Uh, that, that what God spoke didn't age well. And I think that's something that's so funny is that because of the deep desire in our hearts for something that wasn't God, we looked for anything we could to confirm what was God's will. And we just wanted God's will to be our will, right? We didn't want our will to go along with God's. We wanted God to come and enhance our lives, right? And so, so much so that in the middle of a fast, while praying and seeking God, we didn't, we, we didn't hear right. And the reason is because we weren't seeking God for God's sake. We weren't putting God first because we wanted him. We were seeking God so that we could get what we wanted. And I think what's so unique is if you read Psalm 42 and Psalm 63, the heart in both of these stories are so different than that. Uh, how do you fix the fact that, wait, when I ask God things, it doesn't seem like God's guiding me in the direction I want to go. How come when I seek God, it doesn't seem to be God's will and I keep mishearing God? And I think the answer would be because you're seeking him, but you, deep down you want something else. 
And I think if you look in Psalm 42 and Psalm 63, you see a different kind of heart. You see a different kind of person. Um, Psalm 42, we don't know the historical back point. We don't know why the writer wrote what he wrote or what he was experiencing. So for a moment, let's talk about Psalm 63. Uh, we don't know exactly if Psalm 63 is David writing about when Saul was chasing him or when his son Absalom was chasing him. I tend to lean that the story takes place during 2 Samuel when Absalom was chasing David uh, because David refers to himself as king in Psalm 63. And even though he was anointed as king, uh, when Sam, when Saul was chasing him, we don't actually know. Uh, it just doesn't seem to me like it was David's character to call himself king while there was a different king on the throne. Uh, but there's a, a lively debate. Uh, so either way, both stories are well enough. And here's what happens. David is out and he's fleeing from whatever ruler he's fleeing from, right? Whether it's Saul, the king of Israel, who hates him because David's going to take his throne, or if it's Absalom, his son, who's trying to kill his dad so he can take the throne for himself. Whatever the situation is, David is broken. David is lost. David is hurt. And what does he say? In the middle of being chased by the people he loved most, the people that he wanted to protect, the people he had a heart for, as members of his family are possibly turning their backs on him, as his wife is away from him, as his son is sleeping with his wives, crazy stuff, right? David is broken. He, he the temptation would be become bitter. And he, David doesn't seek God and say, God, make things my way. David seeks God and says, you are my God, and I will earnestly seek you. In the middle of his trial and his temptation, in the middle of his pains and his hurts, he cried that my soul thirsts for you, God. Take the kingdom from me. It doesn't matter. What matters is that I need you. It reminds me of David in the wilderness, Moses in the wilderness, uh, when God said to Moses, just go. Take the people and go. And then Moses says, no, we'll stay in the will. I'm not going anywhere unless you come with me. And so Moses was saying the promised land isn't a promised land unless you're with me, God. The wilderness is a promised land if that's where you're at. And David says the exact same thing hundreds of years later. What is he saying? He's saying, God, if the kingdom's being pulled from me, fine, whatever. I need you. As long as you're with me, I'm going to be okay no matter what my lot is. And that's why he says your love is better than life. Um, it, I want to kind of pull out two things really quick, just something to think on, and we'll wrap this up. I did not want this to be a long message because it is just part two of last week. Um, the first thing is if we go to Psalm 42, you, you see he says, as the deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. Now imagine a deer that's been running around all day. I don't know if you've seen an animal. The best thing I can think of is a dog. You know, we've probably seen videos of the dogs that are out and about and running and doing things and they're just like, <sighs> you know, and you're like, dude, are you okay? Are you going to die? And then it, they're, they're panting. I remember when I was a little kid, my great grandparents, they owned a ranch out in Utah big ranch, they had horses, they had sheep, they had bulls, they, they had cattle, they were always hay, and they had multiple dogs that were like sheep dogs that would chase the animals and keep them where they're supposed to be. And I'll never forget, one day one of the dogs went out and was just running around all day, right? Um, and he finally came back inside and he slumped over 
And I was like, and I remember, and he was just on the floor. And I remember I started bawling. I was crying and my great grandpa runs in the room and he's like, what's wrong? And I was like, the dog's dying, you know, freaking out. And he looked and he goes, he's not dying. He's just catching his breath. He's hot and he's panting. He wants some water, right? And I think that's almost the perfect picture. You see this deer and, and it's, it's desiring. All it can think about is water. That that's the thing is when you're panting for something, when you're full of a desire for something, it's tunnel vision, right? And if this dog that was panting for water, he didn't want to treat. He didn't want to go hang out, right? He didn't want to go do anything. He wanted water. It was tunnel vision. And he says, so my soul pants for you. And what is David saying? My soul has tunnel vision. My soul needs God and God alone. And I want to ask genuinely, because it's a question I had to ask myself during this sermon, man, do I pant for you? Does my soul pant for you? Is it unsatisfied unless it's in your presence? Am I filled with the desire to be with you all the days of my life. A pant, I wrote this down, it means every breath and movement within me comes about, um, uh, sorry, panting, if my soul panting is what it becomes, uh, it means every breath and movement within me becomes about fulfilling my desire. If your soul is panting for God, and it really is, then everything you do will be to get in the presence of God, to satisfy God, to be in the will of God. There is no room for personal gain, personal desire. Jesus actually says, pick up your cross and follow me. He says, count the cost and pay the cross a cost. He says, anyone who looks back from the plowshare is not worthy of me. When they say your family's outside, he says, who is my family? Who is my sisters and my brothers? But he who does the will of the Father. Jesus was consistent all the time about this. You need to desire God above everything. A rich young ruler comes and bows his knees to Jesus and says, I've done all. Let me follow you. And Jesus looks to him and says, you've done everything but one thing. Give up everything you have and come and follow me. And it says, the man left sad for he had much. Jesus wasn't just talking. It wasn't these weren't analogies. This wasn't Jesus um, expanding the thought to help you understand it better. When Jesus says, make God the Father, make me in my relationship with you, make that the central focus of your life. That wasn't a recommendation. It was an absolute truth of what God was calling us to do. Think about a dog or a deer as the writer writes it. Think about an animal or maybe yourself if you played a sports game and you were exhausted and you just needed water. Um, think about that and realize that God wants our souls to be that way for God. Unsatisfied unless I'm partaking in what I should be partaking in. Unfulfilled and I have tunnel vision because I want one thing and one thing alone. I love John Bloom. He's a writer. He works with, um, he writes the, on the blogs of Desiring God, which is kind of John, John Piper's thing. Um, and, and John Bloom says this, whatever it takes, Lord, keep me desperate for you because I tend to wander when I stop filling my need for you. When my soul stops panting for you, God, I'll wander every single time. And man, that is so true. It's something that 
for so many of us, I think we're exhausted. And I know, man, it's like no matter how much I sleep, I'm just tired. You know, I, I remember a time I was with my little brother, Sterling. We were hanging out. I was like 12 and he was like nine. Um, we were like hanging out and I wanted to go play with my friend, jump on his trampoline, but Sterling wasn't old enough and he couldn't come. And I remember telling Sterling, hey, go inside and get me water and come back out. And so when Sterling ran out, I ran out the gate, got on my bike and I left him. And what's so interesting is as I was riding away, I heard him crying and I looked back and he was at the gate crying for me as I rode away. Um, it's, it, it's weird. And I want to say something that may sound kind of weird. I don't regret a lot of things in my life. I, I, I don't. A lot of them, God really took me through things and I realized God's forgiven me of so much. I have this thing in my head where it's like, no, God's forgiven me. I need, this is part of my testimony. It's a good thing, not a bad thing. It doesn't really hold me down. But man, when I think about that story, I regret it. I don't even remember the name of the kid whose trampoline I was jumping on, but I remember that moment vividly. And for years, I have regretted that moment. It was over 12 years ago. Literally, I'm old enough to say now, that was over a decade ago. And I still regret it. And it was something so small. And I think a lot of us have that same relationship with God. We keep wandering like a sheep. We keep wandering away from God. And then we wake up the next day and we regret that we didn't spend yesterday with God. And I'll tell you, I think at the end of your life, you won't regret you did, that you didn't pursue a certain job. I, I don't think you'll regret um, that you didn't build a certain relationship. I think you'll regret all those times that you could have spent with God but, but didn't. And I don't want to put that on you and tell you you need to regret not spending time with God. Uh, but I think for so many of us, we're like, man, I wish I would have spent more time with God. I wish I would have handled this situation better. And just like that, that's what John Bloom is saying in the quote, whatever it takes, Lord, keep me desperate for you because I wander when I stop feeling my need for you. And so God keeps us desiring him and when we walk away from that desire we regret it so many people be like man i wish i would have spent time with god yesterday i've had so many talks where people go man i want to spend more time with god why don't i we gotta stop wandering we need to recognize we need him we need to go back to the stream and we talked about that last week that atmosphere jesus christ and we need to continuously drink of them and with that thought i want to take this last thought and say and he didn't just say my soul pants for you he said it thirsts for you. See, if you read this, it sounds like he's, he's repeating himself. My soul, so pants my soul for you, O God, my soul thirsts for God. It pants and it thirsts. Uh, see, thirsting is the recognition of my need for God's presence. Just as a deer will die without the water of the stream, I will die without being in the presence of God. See, panting is about my desire. Thirst is about, now I need to partake, right? Um, one is that thing in you when you're randomly there and you wake up in the middle of the night and you know you should go pray. That's panting. And getting up and praying is fulfilling the thirst that's causing that pant. Um, and I kind of talked about that, but here's what I want to say. Kind of as we wrap this up, as we think about this, think about Jesus's ministry. Jesus knew he only had three and a half years on this earth. He knew he had three and a half years of ministry. Sorry, he was 33 when he died. Uh, three and a half years of ministry on this earth. Three and a half years to fulfill his call. 
If you had only three and a half years to fulfill what you had to fulfill, if you only had three and a half years left on earth, how often would you go on a mountain and pray for 40 days and 40 nights? If you had a goal to complete, I bet you you wouldn't do it once. I bet you you wouldn't spend 40 days and 40 nights on a mountaintop if you only had three years to fulfill something, right? And yet, how often did Jesus slip away for 40 days and 40 nights to get alone with God? Even when he was on mission, his thirst for God superseded doing the mission. How often Jesus would disappear from the people and they'd look for him. These are the people he came for. Why is he leaving to get alone with God? Because his soul thirsted for the presence of God. Jesus showed us what it was like to be a man on this earth who needed the presence of God to operate. And so he would leave. And there was nothing more pressing in Jesus' life than the presence of God. That's thirst. Uh, a quote that I quote all the time, that I'm going to quote now, again, is St. Augustine, when he says, You stir men to take pleasure in praising you, because you made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You're restless. For so many of us, you go to sleep and you wake up tired anyway. You want to know why? It's because you're not, you're not physically tired. You're spiritually tired, and you're feeling it physically. Your heart is restless. It is unsatisfied. For many of you, listen, I, I talked about this last week and, and I know it kind of offends people or riles people up a little bit, but for so many of us who, who deal with insecurity or selfishness or pride or, or depression or anxiety, any of these things, I think these are physical manifestations of a spiritual thirst. And for some, not all of us, maybe for some of us, it is something that God's working in you. But for many of us, here's the reason why you're going through it, because your heart is desperately needing God and we don't give them, we don't give our heart more of God's presence. Your heart is thirsting and it's manifest. I am so thirsty, I'm so desiring. And because I can't have what I desire most, I'm depressed. Because I can't have what I desire most, I, I become prideful and I'm, I start becoming about receiving something so I can stop feeling the pain. I become full of anxiety because I'm afraid of feeling more pain. Our hearts, our souls, our minds are crying out for God. And it's time to feed it. We all have a furious longing for Christ. Uh, but some of us are so desensitized to that pain that we think it's normal. The story I've told a thousand times, and I want to say it again. I think I've said that a couple of times in this message. This is kind of like the culmination message, so I'm repeating a lot of things I've been saying for the past four months. Um, I remember when my father went to the doctor one time. When he went to the doctor, the doctor told him um, that he had a hormone imbalance. And the doctor said, how could you not notice you had a hormone imbalance? And my dad said, like, what are you talking about? And the doctor told him, your body has been in pain for years, but you became so used to the pain that you thought it was normal. And I think for a lot of us, we do the same thing. That, that thing in us that's crying out for God, we've given, it, we've given it a medical name and we've become to medicate it when for a lot of us, you're, you're just, you're crying out for God and you've, become so used to that pain that you think it's a part of who you are. Um, I know people who identify themselves by their depression, by their anxiety, by their hurts. They identify themselves by the, the terrible things people called them. They identify themselves by their past or by their addictions. Um, 
but God identifies you by the blood of his son. And the reason why we identify ourselves by that is because we become so used to the pain that we'll be satiated in the presence of God. Amen? Um, I don't want to talk much longer. Uh, I just want to close out with one thing. Because this is the last message as we're transitioning to our church community message, uh, I want to add one more nugget uh, from this section of Scripture that is specifically about the church. In Psalm 42... The writer says, when shall I come and appear before God? In, from, literally from Genesis to Revelation, in the whole Bible, one of the blessings of God, we have two major blessings from God. Blessing one, his presence. Blessing two, being a part of a community that is also in his presence. Right? Um, and so in, in the Old Testament, we see it as the Israelite people. Right? The blessing of God is you get to be a part of this nation. In the New Testament, up until Revelation, it's the church. You are blessed by being allowed to be in the church of God. And in Revelation, it's, it all comes together and you're in my kingdom physically and spiritually. And, and part of the blessing is God's presence, but part of the blessing has always been the people. And so when the Bible says, when shall I come and appear before God? You have to understand something. In this time, they called it the assembly. Which is funny because that's also what they call the ecclesia, the assembly. Um, but if you go and look in the Old Testament, they refer to the temple and the people in it as the assembly a lot of the time. And the reason why they do that is because being in God's presence is part of the blessing. But the other part of it is I long to be with the people that are also in the same presence. Um, do you long for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Because i got to tell you honestly, I miss you guys. I love you guys. I long for you guys as well. Um, I'm excited to talk with you guys after this message as I go live. I'm excited to interact with you guys because I think that's what this is all about. I have two great blessings in life. One is that I'm filled with Christ, and the other is that I get to be a part of the bride of Christ. One is that I can close the doors and have a personal relationship with God, and please don't take that for granted. But the other one is that I get to open the doors and go be around people who also have Christ behind closed doors. I love you guys. I appreciate you guys. And I pray that you guys would begin to appreciate each other. That you would have a furious longing for God and for each other. Amen. I love you. Have a blessed week, church.